0: Social emotional learning, it's the new way. Where culturally responsive meets innovation. Hey, Dominators. My name is Kristen Hopkins, CEO and founder of Dangers of the Mind, a company that identifies the attacks against your everyday thought life that shifts major progress. I'm a social emotional learning expert, curriculum developer, and social entrepreneur who believes in the holistic development of youth and young adults through culturally responsive and culturally affirming resources. Welcome to Dangers of the Mind. Hey guys, and welcome back to another Dangers of the Mind episode. I'm your host, Kristen Hopkins. The state of African-American males in the American education system is an issue that has to be addressed, especially considering that the system is failing them. In 33 states, African-American males are the least likely group to graduate from high school. They are also punished more severely than their white counterparts and, more frequently, removing them from general education because of misclassifications. Scholars have theorized and explained the phenomenon of this underperformance of African-American males in schools in so many different ways. So in 2017, I created this intervention kit, which was specifically designed for transient populations because I went and visited many schools and set an ISS, which is considered in-school suspension, and kept seeing Black boys going in and out. And they would have their heads down on the desk, they would be asleep, or they would be watching YouTube. And what I did not see is any forms of self-reflection. So as they were walking out the classrooms, I would ask them, what did you learn today in ISS? And they would look at me, shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know. The next week, those same kids will be right back in ISS. What these students didn't know is they were a pool of data and they were being collected. And this was considered walking statistics. This episode is all about building the confidence of students in urban settings. And I'm going to start by sharing a personal experience and study of a young boy that I'm going to call for privacy purposes, Terrell. In the fall of 2021, I went into a school to observe my program. I developed this Tier 2, Tier 3 program to establish intervention resources for multi-tier support with students that were encountering behavioral challenges. I developed this Tier 2, Tier 3 program to establish intervention resources for multi-tier support with students that were encountering behavioral challenges. According to the 2017-2018 Department of Education for the specific state that I will not mention, this school placed in the bottom 50% of all schools in this state for overall test scores. Math proficiency was in the bottom 50% and reading proficiency was in the bottom 50% for the 2018-2019 school year. This was out of 2,571 schools within this state. The student-teacher ratio was 2 to 1 which was lower than the state's level ratio of 15 to 1. I chose this specific school because I've been working with this organization for three years and testing models and resources that are culturally responsive and culturally affirming to the social-emotional needs of a child. This school has presented many obstacles from the staff's performance to the student's behavior, and over the course of my study, I chose to focus on a 14-year-old boy who was African-American for the purpose of this episode, Again, we're gonna call him Terrell. Terrell falls in a category of high risk. He has attention deficit hyperactive disorder, which y'all know as ADHD, and he currently lives below the poverty line. Terrell had been faced with many barriers due to his family dynamic with his mother on drugs and his father in jail. Previously, his grandmother was his guardian, but she recently passed away, transferring his guardianship to his godmother. However. Since the transition, he had been in a transient youth moving from house to house and lacking stability. Now let's just pause and think about Terrell. If my mother was on drugs and my father was in jail and my grandmother just passed, I don't know how in the world I would be able to go to school, yet alone learn. So let's just continue to perspective take as I continue to talk about Terrell. I wanted to specifically focus on Terrell. Because he is receiving special education services and he needs personalized attention to his specific needs. I wanna highlight the factors of poverty taxing the brain. We talked about this in an earlier episode. Terrell's characteristics and behavioral challenges, and how substance abuse plays a role in Terrell's performance. And all of this is gonna talk about the confidence levels in urban settings. I wanted to also briefly touch on a student named, quote unquote, Juan. As it relates to immigration and language learning issues, because in urban settings, we don't just have black boys, but we have boys of color, brown kids. Of course, Juan is a Mexican child. Juan lives with two parents' household with a younger brother, and his parents both speak the primary language in the household. So let's discuss some sociocultural identity issues I observed. According to the Center for Intercultural Dialogue, sociocultural identities refer to identification with or a sense of belonging to a partial group based on various cultural categories, including nationality, ethnicity, race, gender, and religion. Social cultural identity plays an important role in the way Terrell operates throughout his school day. Terrell is an African-American male who is still in the initial stages of identity development. His peers are all African-Americans, and many are gang-affiliated, which influences Terrell to make compulsive behavioral decisions every day. Terrell appears to not subscribe to a specific religion in the classroom. And I found this out because I observed him saying, what has God done for me lately? And this statement came from a frustrating place where he felt he didn't have no support from his teachers, his staff, his peers, and even the ones that he had quote-unquote home. This was a result from him not wanting to read aloud. When we refer back to the article, Poverty Taxes the Brain by Emily Badger, she shares that the reality of poverty actually makes it harder to execute fundamental life skills. Being poor means coping with not just a shortfall of money, but also with a concurrent shortfall of cognitive resources, y'all. I believe Terrell's living conditions played a huge role in the cognitive aspect of poverty and survival. Terrell didn't know where he was staying the next day. Every time I talk to Terrell, he's at another house. He was in this transient situation where he never had a stable environment. So you have to only imagine how this plays and how this taxes his brain to be able to function and learn how to read. Terrell comes to school high every day and is open about being dependent on weed and using weed as a coping mechanism to survive. Terrell often spends his last on buying weed to smoke and recently got into a bad fight with a friend of his because he took his friend's money to buy some Chinese food deed and brought the change back, but the friend allowed him to get jumped because the friend felt he stole from him. These are the prime examples that show the desperation that he has in getting his basic needs met, which is impacting his social relationships and learning abilities. Terrell also has an active IEP with the identification of ADHD. Terrell's IEP specifically supports him around reading due to the fact that He is reading at a third grade level. I told y'all Terrell was 14. Let's figure this out. You know, imagine where this little boy is at. So after I'm studying Terrell closely and I realized that he was a kinesthetic learner and needed additional support with comprehending the material. And he also did better with auditory and visual learning modalities presented to him. When he's encouraged to read independently or in front of the class, he immediately shuts down and results to acting out so he can be dismissed from the environment. Tarot ain't slick because I was watching him and I knew in that moment he needed someone to understand how he learned. In Charles Hutchison's article, he highlights for low-income students and students of color, it is compounding of a myriad of small factors that ultimately accrete into significant classroom challenges that may appear as academic improficiencies. So let's take a close look at Terrell's body language. When I look at Terrell's body language, it showed me when he's uncomfortable with learning and many times he gives up even before trying. There is ample opportunities for his IEP team to collaborate in designing support needed for him to be successful within the school setting. Even Juan goes through similar challenges with his self-esteem issues when it lies in his ability not to communicate properly with other people because he does not know how to, and he does not have the proper resources he needs to translate the material. Because again, Juan is a second language learner. That means everybody in his household speaks their dominant language, their culture language, and when he goes to school, he's learning a whole new language. So just picture Juan in a classroom, trying to understand, trying to communicate, feeling like he doesn't wanna speak up, feeling like he has no confidence. This is damaging to students and their confidence levels and their ability to own their power. Terrell and Juan are not the only black and brown boys in the world in urban settings that are struggling on a daily basis. What I see consistently is black and brown students are lying and not knowing how to accurately perceive their feelings or their abilities. So they quickly say that they're confident because they think insecurities are weaknesses. And that's the hood mentality that's showing vulnerability as a sign of weakness. That's also the Black mentality because we grew up, first of all, saying that we can't share our family secrets. You know, you better not go to nobody's house begging for no food. You know, those are things that made us feel like we had to be perfect. We had to be strong. We had to survive. And those tactics and mechanisms are what we're teaching our kids. And we have to allow them to be vulnerable and be able to express what they're truly feeling because if not we're not going to get the accurate data at all, right? We're not going to figure out what's really happening because a child is not even comfortable with saying it. And this is where social and emotional learning plays a huge role in today's society because social and emotional learning is all up in your business. If you want to learn about yourself, you got to know who you are and you got to be true to yourself because it's not going to work. Are you an educator, parent, young professional? or community leader? Well, our Black SEL Summit is for you. Black SEL is a summit that looks to reach, teach, and build a system of strong Black leaders that understand the importance of social and emotional learning and ways to expose and sustain SEL in Black communities. Black SEL will highlight and elevate the educators and voices of African-American people in the social and emotional learning field. We are looking to create healthy dialogue around policy and ways to expose social-emotional learning to surrounding communities and its key stakeholders. Social and emotional learning will not be a trend in the Black communities, but yet we will make this a sustainable tool to advance and heal us one community at a time. This summit will take place on September 30th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. right in Durham, North Carolina, and then our awards banquet starting at 7 p.m., Early bird tickets are on sale right now for only $150. Grab them now before it's too late. Proceeds generated for ticket sales will help build the capacity of the Dangers of the My Education Fund. For more information, click the link in the show notes or go to blacksel.org to learn all about our conference and see the full itinerary there. We can't wait to see you. According to John Hopkins School of Education, children need to feel a sense of confidence and positivity when they associate with and compare themselves to others. A positive self-image allows them to feel more comfortable when having hard conversations or faced with exclusion. Young children are likely to be surrounded by people of the same race and ethnicity, so it's critical to help them form bias and stereotypical free understanding of diversity and the races around them and ethnicities. In the developmental process, the media exposes children to so much that it's imperative we begin having these conversations at a young age with these students. These conversations are dependent upon a child's development level as well as their race. So, listen up, y'all. Here are five ways that I challenge you to build confidence in students in an urban setting. Number one, one of the floor decals that we have in our resilience package of our culturally affirming posters. And the decal says, love the way you learn and speak up about it. Find out what learning modalities a child relates best to. I was a Terrell and had ADHD growing up and never knew it until I was today years old. Okay, today years old. So going through middle school and high school, I never felt smart. I always felt like I learned differently, but no teacher ever explored my learning style. So I never wanted to read or learn new things because not until later in college did I realize that I was a kinesthetic learner and tactile learner. It took me going to China, Beijing, China, for my school to send me to China, for me to realize I was an audio learner because I would get in the taxi and the taxi driver would say, where do you want to go today? And I was telling him where I wanted to go. And if I didn't understand him, I would say, wabuja well, dao. Wabuja well, dao means I don't understand you. Like repeat yourself. And he would start repeating himself. And that's how I learned the language. I had reading, writing, and listening classes, but it wasn't until I stepped out of the environment of a classroom and went into the streets and met a taxi driver named Shafu and start teaching me how to speak the language was when I realized that I needed hands-on experience. That is how I learned best. So once I understood how I learned, it changed my whole entire world. So these students can do the same for them. But it's your responsibility as educators to say, how can I help build a student's confidence? Because my confidence levels were so low. I hated taking tests in class. Even though I was confident in other forms and other ways, I hated taking tests in class. That was not my thing. And so when I would take a test or when a test would come, I would get nervous. I would get sweaty. I would get quiet. That's the probably the most time that I was ever quiet in my life was when it was test taking time. Okay, so these are big ways and big strides that we can make with kids in urban settings. Number two, utilization of an anti-bias curriculum. Our children are taught about self-awareness, race and culture. That's not a statement. That's a question. Because children should be exposed to and learn about others in a way that is developmentally appropriate and free from bias. Children should be able to learn about their own self-identity and those around them. Remember when I was talking about the emancipatory pedagogy and how it was our responsibility of Black educators to infuse this into our teaching? That is ways that we do this by teaching our students about who they are, their foundation, so that they can own their voice. If I would have knew the African American leaders of my time when I was in school, you couldn't have told me nothing, okay? I probably would have started SGA groups. I probably would have been the president. I probably would have had advocate groups for the school because I knew that I came from royalty. I came from people that were speaking up for themselves, people that paved the way for us. So utilization of an anti-bias curriculum and being proud to talk about other races and other cultures in class, to have these conversations that are typically uncomfortable and make them the norm of comfortability for kids, are very important. All right. Number three, parent engagement opportunities. I believe strongly that parents knowing social emotional learning can literally break generational cycles and our students too, but we cannot do this alone. When the pandemic hit, I remember I was trying to charge all of my colleagues in 2019 to do these parent forms. And one of them told me, parents are not our decision makers. And I looked at this person and I said, are you kidding me? I said, okay, you know what? I'll do this on my own. And sure enough, I started these Let's Talk More CL Parent Forums in 2019 so that parents could be trained in social emotional learning, so that community leaders can be trained in social emotional learning, so that the chief of police and senates and you know city councilmen could be trained in social emotional learning. And this was important to me because what I saw in the future was that how is social emotional learning going to be sustained in Black communities? If parents do not understand what social-emotional learning is, if we're teaching this to our kids and then we go back and they're in toxic environments, it's not going to be sustainable. We are building social-emotional safe homes, social-emotional safe spaces for kids to be able to sustain this. Also, ask yourself, are there opportunities for families to connect, meet, and learn about each other's values and expectations? You should have a parent understanding that A Terrell or a Juan is struggling, and how can we, as a collective committee, the parent, the teacher, the principal, the IEP specialist, the counselor, how can we all come together collectively and help Terrell? How can we develop a plan to say, Terrell, we want to see you graduate. Juan, we want to see you learn English more. We want to provide more resources for you to understand and be able to communicate confidently to your peers. These are the type of supports. Having supports from families is imperative in ensuring that children are accepting of others and themselves. When families show the value in appreciating diversity and just appreciating who they are, they communicate that to their children. So bringing parents to the forefront, seeing what's going on in the home, seeing what the parent values, seeing what the parent's expectations are, is going to give you a real good insight on how you can better help that child. Because a lot of times... What's going on at a child's life is definitely going on in a parent's life. And it's probably magnified because what I feel and I see is that a child might be procrastinating and then you look at a parent and they still on this level where they probably haven't had a new job in five years. Or they might be living on a state or they might be living with six people in the house and they just trying to get by. They're struggling. Right. And you think a child is supposed to do better and, you know, perform at a high level when all they see is the bare minimum. We have to understand what is happening in the home with these parents in order to really, really be able to help a child. And I think that solution is through social and emotional learning and understanding how we can help that parent understand SEL skills a little bit more because that's going to give them some motivation. It's going to give them some determination to do better for their children. So in this case with Terrell, you know, he has a caretaker, but we have to make it our business to know who that caretaker is and where he is and how he is being influenced on a daily basis. Number four is expose them to things that are not a part of the environment. One of the things that I believe in with my nonprofit Dream It Own It Master it Foundation, you know, connected with the dangers of my education fund, is that we allow students to be able to see beyond their current circumstances. It is important to see beyond your current circumstances. When I was a little girl, I was an avid dreamer. I used to dream all the time I used to daydream in school and I would never be in a school. I would be like on the beach somewhere. Like, and before I was like 10, I never traveled like that. So the beach was not like something that me and my family was taking trips on. You know, after 10, yeah, we was going on trips all the time. But guess what? I feel like I envisioned those trips. I feel like I envisioned my mama making more money. I feel like I envisioned that we was going to be on vacations every year like a regular family. I believed that that was going to happen. I manifested that. I prayed for that thing, right? And so when we expose our children to new environments, whether it's field trips, whether it's diverse environments, this shapes a child's perspective and allows them to see outside the box of what they can do, who they can become. And it's very important. Are there culturally diverse pictures and images throughout your classroom? Is it images in your programs? Does the school include meals that are reflective of different cultures? Or are they just having chicken nuggets and fries? What is happening at the schools? Children should be exposed to positive images, positive foods, positive diverse experiences that are promoting a side of self-awareness because that are promoting also social awareness. If a child tries something different, then they can realize that, oh, wow, I didn't know I liked Chinese food. I didn't know I like Asian food. I didn't know I like Thai food. I didn't know I like Japanese. I didn't know I like Jamaican food. It gives them different perspectives. I remember when I lived in China for nine months and I used to eat food all the time, all this type of gyro Trafon, which is chicken fried rice. And you couldn't tell me I was not black knees out there, y'all. Like I loved Chinese food, but I also like embraced the culture. Like I used to, shout out to my homegirl, Ashley. She used to like weave my hair up. I used to have little, you know, sessions with her where we go get hair. She would put weaving my hair. And then we would go to the Chinese shops, the hair salons. And they would cut our hair like a bob, like literally, I should probably put a picture up, post it up on my Instagram or something, because y'all be like, that girl was Black niece It was the best experience of my life. But I blended in. And the reason why Chinese people really loved me, I mean, like, I felt like everybody in China loved me. They used to like tell me, you know, the prices, they used to go up on people. But for me, because I spoke their language, they respected that because they saw that I was trying to learn and respected their culture. And so they formed a mutual respect for me. But these are all opportunities that I had because I was open and willing to be different and see beyond my current circumstances. So if I was in a situation in college where I was at HBCU, y'all, if I would have said, "Oh, I'm not going to China. I don't know nobody in China. I don't want to speak Mandarin. I'm scared. And if I couldn't see beyond my current circumstance that this trip was going to change my life, I would have missed out on an opportunity of a lifetime. Seriously, the relationships that I gained, the people that I know now, the business deals that I've done through these connections have changed my life. So, exposing them to new environments is important and is a key factor to building the confidence of a child. Number five, looking at a school's colors in the buildings, there are some schools I walk into and they look depressing. It looks like a jail cell, it's ridiculous. I look in the bathrooms, you got Light like walls, white, tan, no color. According to Forbes, an article on the importance of color and visualization, colors are an effective medium for communicating meaning. Some have certain implicit psychological associations. Red, for example, is an often associated with power, love, and anger. Blue might be conveyed as coldness, calm, or logic, depending on the context. Different shades of a single primary color. Can convey vastly different meanings and emotions. Two or more colors together can have a profound effect on one another. They can be complementary or work in conjunction. In data visualization, colors set the tone and enforces a message for an underlying visual display. It creates a certain atmosphere and can turn an assuming visualization into an emotional filled data story. Enhancing the colors in your classroom or speaking up to your administration about the colors in the hallway, or even in the bathrooms. Colors set the tone and even show that the administration and staff are invested in a child's life even the more. New paint on the walls will excite me. I know in my house, when I paint my house or I do something to my wall, I get excited. I love to clean. When my house is clean, I can focus. I can feel better about myself. These things make us feel better naturally. And so we want to make sure that we understand how this affects a child and their confident levels. This affects them tremendously, and all of these tools can enhance a child's performance. Confidence can open any door, create any opportunity, and change the trajectory of a child's future. So this wraps up another DOM episode. Click the link in our show notes to download our freebie to reference five ways to build confidence in urban settings. Make sure you subscribe, rate us, and as always, keep dominating. This message is brought to you by The Black Student Experience. The current education system is dominated by political narratives that devalue the very people that our schools are supposed to serve. Students, teachers, administrators, and staff are left underpaid and undersupported, while scapegoated for the systemic problems facing these institutions. More specifically, this manifests in our youth today. Disproportionately Black and other marginalized identities being suspended and over-disciplined, teachers burning out and left without the tools to even manage a classroom. The Black Student Experience is a safe space to develop Black students' social and emotional skills while hearing their voices, their true voices, on what live civics looks like from their perspective. Join us for our Black Student Experience event as we build community and listen to the social and emotional needs of our Black youth. Click the details in the show notes for more.